Shut up and sit down. everyone and welcome to the podcast tonight our topic is going to be about ripples and i think this is actually probably um a really timely podcast people are getting ready to do their uh can divergent um stories for rough trade we've got quantum bang in the midst so it's just a good time to, to talk about ripples and um the impact of your decisions on canon events for good or bad and um, I'm Kira. For those of you who don't know the sound of my of my voice, and my guest this evening is Jilly, sometimes called Bob, and Kira is sometimes called Dick. <laughs> it's the Dick and Bob show. <laughs> we probably need to have some crack episodes. We actually call that the Dick and Bob show. <laughs> um. We had earlier done a podcast about um, McKay joining the expedition during the second wave and how that would go. Um, and we plotted out some scenarios about how we would write that if we did write it. Um, <clears throat> and someone mentioned to Jilly that uh, she wished we'd gone a little bit deeper and um, talked about the events that McKay was instrumental in, in canon, and what would have happened with him not being there. Um, and how that would have played out. So when we're talking about what I was, when I was thinking about what kind of podcast I wanted to do tonight, that was the one that came up. You know, the the idea of, of talking about ripples. Also, um, Friday night I did a podcast with Lady Holder for it was it, it was about four hours recorded, but after I got rid of all of our thoughtful science silences, it ended up being about three and three hours and thirty something minutes. Anyway, it's a two parter up on Castbox. Someone sent an anonymous comment to my site because I, I don't have membership turned on because of problems that I just don't feel like messing with right now. Um, the end result is I got an asshole on my site uh, commenting anonymously um, and told me that basically that one time she wanted to um, plot with me but after listening to me plot with Lady Holder um, that she uh was very put off by it because she felt like I just tore her idea to pieces. Now, one of the one of my strengths as a plotter and as a writer is I am very good at picking out consequences and ripples. So, the people who I alpha and beta with, Jilly, Lady Holder, as you know, anybody that, you know I spend a lot of time with, if they they expect that from me, they want me to point out the ripples if they're not seeing them. Because that's, that's what I do. I wasn't picking on Lady Holder. And if she didn't like what I had to say, she'd have told me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because she can. <laughs> she is one of those precious few people in my life that can say, shut your pie hole, Kira. And I'll be like, but I don't have any pie. <laughs> if you give me some pie, I will put it in the hole and then you won't have to hear me. 
But she also knows that she can do what she wants. And anytime we, we talk about things you should and should not do, you can do what you want. And if you don't want to improve as a writer, you keep doing the same exact thing every single time. Was that rude? Because um, the, these podcasts aren't, um, aren't about you and they aren't for you. But honestly, if you want to just, if you want to plot with somebody, we'll really use somebody's sounding board, I guess, or it's not even a sounding board. It's just somebody who just sits there and nods at you, I guess. Um, just to validate your ideas, you don't need to, you don't need Kira's time for that. So if, if, you know, if the idea of somebody telling you that you've got, you know, a plot hole or that you haven't considered a ripple or, or this is why that idea might not work, or this would be the logical consequence of that. If that makes you feel like you wouldn't do well in that exercise and you need somebody who just unconditionally validates you. I don't know why you'd want to plot with Kira, honestly. Because I'm not a validator. Yeah, and, and, and why would you waste your time like that? So, But yeah, I mean, if you don't want me to point out your ripples, then don't show me your idea. Yeah. I mean, I've had people say they want to bounce money. I mean, I've had the same experience. They said they want to bounce money, buddy, and you know, they want somebody to brainstorm with and I'll go, well, that doesn't really make sense because blah, 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 blah. And they get so butthurt. They go, well, my whole idea doesn't work. I go, okay, well, your whole idea doesn't work. I'll just <laughs> nod. You know, I'm like nodding going, yeah, you're right. It doesn't work. What are you going to do about it? Um, and then they're just like, well, this, I, I don't, I just, I have nothing now. Okay. You're not, I, I, I this, this, I don't, I don't mean this to sound awful, but I'm sitting there going, you're not ready for me. <laughs> I would say actually a lot of people who listen to this podcast aren't ready for you. And they most certainly are not ready for me because you're a lot nicer than I am. I say it way nicer than she does. And there's stuff I even don't point out. I'm like, well, if this was a professional edit, I'd say something about that. But this is, and I don't mean it in a bad way. This is fan fiction, but more like this is somebody who is not like ready for a professional edit. So, you know, they're not ready to be anal probed. Um, Okay, well, to be fair, okay, Lady Holder, to be fair, I'm blunter with you in an edit than I am with most fan fiction writers because you've been through a professional edit. I don't feel like I need to softball you. Uh, I don't need to lob softballs at you because you, you... She's been through the professional edit and the bottle of wine. <laughs> right, so... I don't need to make you... I don't, I don't need to make you feel better about it. She doesn't it. need to blow sunshine up your ass. <laughs> But most people, I try to be really, you know, careful with people when I'm editing them, you know, novice writers, because I don't want them to be like, oh, my God, I can never fix all this stuff. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so. But, so, you know, we're going to uh, talk about, we're going to, let, let's propose some scenarios and, and go through the consequences. You know, honestly, this is um, a... Um, this is a skill that you that you get with time, and um, is that accurate? But I mean, the ripples thing. Some people, I don't think some people ever pick it up. Right. But I <laughs> I do think I do think you can learn to do better with it. But it, it is it is for some people it's more work than others. Some people maybe it's because of choice of occupation or just the way their brain is wired. They're just better able to visualize the the how how a change ripples out. But I do think people can get, even if they're not naturally inclined to it, they can get better at it. So uh, the conversation I have with somebody after the podcast about Roddy in the second wave is because I had kind of, 
said, I, you know, kind of, I don't remember exactly what I said, but it sounded some, something, it was something along the lines of, um, yeah, I'd have to step through each of the episodes and figure out which of those events would have happened and which ones wouldn't have happened and the ones that did happen, how they'd be different for Rodney not being there. But that's something I'd work out later. And I also made a comment about, you know, I'm not going to build the roster on the air because that's just tedious and there's no point in doing that when I'm trying to plot. And and what she said to me was that, you know, when it comes to figuring out ripples is that, that hearing, you know, how the step through those events and figuring them out, even if, you know, and my rationale was that stuff's not shown on screen. So why would I talk about it? Right. That would all be background work that I would do. And then she said, but, but she asked, that's what she has a hard time figuring out is when she makes changes, what is all the stuff that's happening in the background that affects the stuff that happens on screen? And she's not good at figuring that stuff out. And that would have been really helpful to hear that. And I was like, and I talked to Kara about it. We both were kind of quiet and went, huh, she's not wrong. But <laughs> not wrong. She's not wrong. <laughs> it's just, it is. That's a part of plotting that, you know, like we talked about. We just sit down with the computer and a in a in a notebook and pens and and work through it. And it's more so I know and it doesn't really have anything to do with the actual plotting process. Or it's not, it doesn't have much to do with the actual plot. It's part of the plotting process, but it doesn't have a whole lot of bearing on the plot itself. So I just kind of, you know, hand waved that I would do that at some future date, you know, and it didn't matter for the purposes of that plot drift. But she's like, but how, how am I going to learn how to find the ripples if I don't ever hear you guys do it? And I was like, uh, 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 let me get back to you. <laughs> yeah. Um, so much something in the chat room I want to address. You know, not all skills I'm not capable of learning all skills. There are some things I could be told in finite detail how to do, and I still wouldn't be able to do it. I watched every single episode of Bob Ross, but I couldn't paint a happy little tree if my life depended on it. You'd only know it was a tree by the color. <laughs> and its vague conical shape. Something, I mean... Some things can be taught, yes. You can be taught to add and subtract. Most people can accomplish that. But there are some people, um, depending on how their brain works, they're not going to get it. Some things are an innate skill. Some things can be taught. Some things you can be taught the specifics of and the details of, but you'll never be able to do it yourself. Not everybody can be a brain surgeon. So I do think, well, I always strive to learn everything I possibly can about my craft. There are certain parts of my craft where I'm always going to struggle and I'm perfectly okay with that. And knowing your limits, knowing when to challenge yourself, knowing when to give yourself a break, is, I think really super important. Yeah. Now I do think that logical consequences are something some people just struggle with. Like in their own some life. Some people aren't logical. No, because I see people making mistake, do something right. And then they have some horrible consequences visited upon them. And they're like, well, I didn't know this is what was going to happen. And I'm like, well, what did you think that was going to happen when you did this thing that causes that thing to happen? And they were like, well, but I just, I didn't, I didn't realize it would happen. You know, I didn't realize it would affect me. I was just like, oh, oh, snowflake. There are some children who learn not to touch hot things because it hurts. And there are other children who get that hot thing lesson. And the next time they encounter something hot, they, they touch it again. Yeah. 
So it is what it is. Do I think, I mean, obviously, you know, honestly, I am never, ever going to figure out exactly where I should put a comma every time. I know the rules. I've read the rules. I have a Chicago style guy looking at me right now. It's like, bitch, you need to learn how to use commas. I know, guide. I know. <laughs> is it ever going to happen? Probably not. But it doesn't mean, on the other hand, it doesn't mean that you not having a, a natural affinity for something or struggling with something. I don't think it's an excuse to never try to get better at it. Um, right. and I'm, not, I'm yeah. not talking about, I'm not talking about you and commas. I'm talking yeah. about, you know, people who like, I see people just like, they don't bother like, Oh, I'm never going to be able to figure out what the consequences are if I don't pay my bills. So why, why worry about it? You're really, you're never going to be a, okay. Really? So just because you've gotten the light, shut, the light shut off 50 times, doesn't mean that you can't figure out the cause and effect here, you know? Um, I think at some point, to some degree, when it comes to the very basics of any basic skill, um, failure to get the basics, failure to achieve the basics is a matter, becomes a matter of choice. But anyway, that's a, that's a whole tangent. But people who are good at thinking through the logical consequences of, 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 of like planning a, any given situation or, um, they can see motives, you know, well, if so-and-so does this, it's going to go this way, or, you know, they'll see the way things are going and they can predict how things are going to come out TV shows or whatever, because they see these patterns and these building blocks. Those are the people, if that kind of is like comes a little bit naturally to you, that kind of logical progression of events and seeing like the impact of things across multiple people, maybe even at a global scale, Figuring out ripples should be an easily mastered, fairly easily mastered skill for you if you work on it. Um, other people are going to have to work harder at it and have a sanity check or a beta check who just, I mean, an alpha reader who kind of just plugs in with them and they know can help them figure out the ripples. But the thing is, one of the things I find frustrating with working with people who have ripple issues is my experience in fandom is most of the people who tell me they struggle with figuring out ripples, we sit down to work with them. They actually just want you to validate them. They don't actually want you to tell them what their ripple problems are, what, where the logical flaws are and what they've done. Um, it's very frustrating. So one thing I will say is please don't ever, please don't ever approach me with an idea. Ask me my, and ask me my honest opinion. If you don't actually want my honest opinion, I'm not that person for you. And I'm going to point out your problems. So just don't ask if you can't handle it. And if we ever go shopping and you ask me, does your butt look big in those pants? If your butt looks big in those pants, I'm going to say, well, yeah, I think we need to try a different cut. Because <laughs> those pants do you no favors. Unless <laughs> <laughs> like, you do look good in those pants, and then I'll say, bitch, you were rocking those pants. That optical illusion didn't go your way. I'm just Get saying. Get those pants. Get all those pants. I I had somebody who who really wanted help with um about a year ago I think, and and they actually the funny thing was they told me they needed a bounce buddy which isn't at all what they wanted they wanted some kind of validation of their idea and help with one specific plot point, and um so they spelled the plot the idea out to me, and then they said that makes sense. Right? And I said, no. <laughs> no, it doesn't make sense. That would never have gone that way. Um, and um, and then I found out. Because they didn't ask me, what do you think? They asked me, that makes sense, right? And I was like, no. 
So, I mean, I don't know. I'm like, it didn't. It, there was, it was just, if something that could not physically happen, okay, it, it, it was on par with, um, you know, a, 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 an active duty general being the Secretary of Defense. It was on that level of no, okay? I, I don't want to give the exact example because it's a very specific example. And anyway, but it's on the, it's on it's on par with a general being the Secretary of Defense, right? So it, she said that makes sense, right? It's it's that level of it that does not make sense. And I said no, that doesn't make sense because it doesn't work that way. Um, no, Reaper Jack O'Neill could not be the Secretary of Defense um, in his current role. In SG-1 canon. Um, the only way Jack O'Neill could become the Secretary of Defense is if he retired his commission from the Air Force and was out of service for seven years before he was recommended or nominated to be the Secretary of Defense by the President of the United States. Um, the, the Secretary of Defense must have been a civilian for at least seven years before they are eligible to be the Secretary it it's it has to do with that civilian control of the armed forces thing and the secretary of defense is you know in the chain of command of the armed forces so because it the reasoning is because a civilian cannot be in command of the armed forces so the well, it's you, a, know, you know it's the constitution yeah that's why um anyway <laughs> so uh and the and the only reason i use that as an example is because i see it so much in Stargate fan fiction, that Jack O'Neill becomes the Secretary of Defense. And he's not, it, often it's like they make a nod to it by making him resign his commission and then become Secretary of Defense, but it doesn't work that way either. He would need seven years as a civilian. And I roll my eyes every time I see it, but if somebody had ever asked me about that, okay, I'm going to make Jack O'Neill Secretary of Defense, and I'm going to be like, so he took a seven-year sabbatical? Um, I would say that doesn't make sense, right? It's, it's on that level of that's not the way that works. So somebody you know, posited a theory of their story, their foundational premise, right? The foundational idea was something that could not happen. It doesn't work that way in law enforcement. It was a law enforcement thing. I'm like, that does not work that way. Okay. And um, I didn't realize that that wasn't the part she wanted help with. <laughs> so, so I said, she said, so that makes sense. Right. And I said, no. And she went, what do you mean? No. I'm like, no, it doesn't work that way. That's not how law enforcement works. Not even on TV does it work that way. Um, Oops. And it turns out that wasn't what she wanted to help with. So she, she got massively butthurt. She got massively butthurt um, that I'd shot down her idea. I'm like, I'm not shooting down your idea. I thought you wanted a bounce buddy. You asked me, did it make sense? I said, no. And then she wrote it anyway. <laughs> Whatever. Of course she did. So, you know. So she asked, she did, she did ask me for some help with another part of the story. I'm like, well, but I mean, this, this thing you want help with is only going to be useful to you. If you, if you use this thing, it doesn't make any sense. And she says, well, I'll figure out a way to rework that. I'm like, how are you going to, okay. Okay. So anyway. You say you're... Go to the ask me question page and, and tell me how to say their name. I would Etrangerichi. I'm gonna call you Tangerine. <laughs> Tangerine. Etrangerichi. Etrangerichi. I don't know if I got that. I, I'm good with Tangerine. Are you good with Tangerine? <laughs> okay. She asks. They ask. I need to stop being so um, 
gender specific. It's, it's, it's rude. Okay. How do you decide where your line is between I need to spend more time figuring out our ripples and canon is such a shit show anyway at this point? Fuck canon. Okay. That's actually a really good, interesting, fundamental question because canon has absolutely jack shit to do with the, the, the idea that you need to ignore your ripples. Because if you do a canon diversion and you make a decision that fundamentally changes what's going on around you, canon is an issue, yes, but your ripples can be fundamentally different from your canon. Let's do an example, Jillian. Okay. <laughs> you have an um, example? <laughs> Um, well, so in, in terms of there, let's say you're doing a canon divergent AU. Okay. So your canon, you're diverging at the, at a point, let's say, um, NCIS when Gibbs is on his Mexican siesta. Okay. So Gibbs is on the long nap. One divergence point keeps Tony, you, you just said one story idea you've got keeps Tony at NCIS and one story idea you've got takes Tony to Hawaii. Many years before Steve gets there, but we'll just deal with the mothership thing later, okay? So one divergence point means canon, that canon's intact right up to the point that he to, to that divergence point no matter what, okay? The divergence that he goes to Hawaii, well, you don't have a whole lot to do with canon at this point. You're, you've diverged in a way that now you may have some stuff to figure out, right? You may have to figure out, is he going to be talking to anybody back there? What's going on back there? Is anything happening at NCIS that's going to penetrate all the way to Hawaii and he's going to notice it? Like Gibbs coming back or Gibbs getting fired. You may have to figure some stuff out, but not a lot, right? There's not a lot you have to worry about in terms of the actual canon events because he's not He's moved away from canon. The ripples have moved your character in, in a tsunami-like wave towards the Hawaiian Islands. But if he's choosing to stay at NCIS but move on to, say, a different team, well, all of those events that happen in NCIS canon could potentially still occur. They may happen with Tony. They may happen with whoever's in Tony's place. And they could happen differently. They could happen differently. Um they may impact Tony differently if he's on a different team. So there you are. And this is where you have to kind of decide what kind of um, canon divergent story you want to tell. And if you're not super knowledgeable about the canon, a canon divergent story that takes your character on a sharp left turn away from canon is might be a more comfortable story for you to tell because you don't have to figure out every canon element and how it is would change or alter or morph as your character's new circumstances ripple through them. Let's, uh, let's look at boxed in. If Tony is in Hawaii, when boxed in happens, he never finds out about it unless one of them dies. Not a big deal. I mean, he's moved on. Um, but let's look at the consequences of Tony not being there for boxed in. Um, as far as like the other characters are going and look at the consequences and ripples of Tony not being on the spot. If it's McGee and Ziva in that situation was boxed in, they both die. Because Tony is the only... Because <laughs> Ziva didn't land a single shot. Tony took all those shots. Um, anybody that died at the scene or got shot at the scene, that was Tony. Ziva's nowhere nearly as good of an aim at 
as aim as Tony is. So they're neither, neither one of them probably gonna make it into the box. Well, that's true. Well, they might even, and if they do make it into the box, the only person Ziva shot was that guy she shot in the toe, and that was right at the end. But Tony's the one who figured out how to get the cell signal out. Tony's the one who figured out the counterfeit money. I think it was Tony that figured out the counterfeit money. He's the one that figured out the fake back. I think I think he's the one who figured out the fake back and that was hiding where the um, the counterfeit money was. But I'd have to double check all that. But I'm pretty sure that Ziva didn't do much in that episode besides open fire in a closed container. So Ziva might be so Tony, so Tim might be able to get this the cell signal out. I mean, he's technologically advanced enough to to accomplish that, probably even a little bit faster than Tony because of his own tech abilities. But yeah, yeah. Ziva opens fire in that um, container. Where is Tim, and what is he wearing? Because well, I think one of the main reasons that Tim that Tony wasn't as injured as he was is because he was wearing a thick wool coat. Um, Tony also ducked. Remember, Tony saw what she was about to do and told her to stop and ducked. So there's every there's every opportunity there's every possibility that Ziva could kill Tim right there. And then she's alone in that container. She can't do she can't do jack shit with the phone. She's already freaking out. She's just shot and killed her partner. It's only going to get worse. Okay. So, um, somebody says in the chat room, you could argue that Ziva not hitting money was bad writing and that she really should have had better skills, but that's not this exercise. Um, this exercise is if Tony isn't there, how does that impact the canon events? And when it comes to canon divergence and ripples, you need to look at what the actual canon events were and evaluate them. You can't just suddenly make Ziva a better shot. Now, grant now normally. If I were writing an AU, right, and potentially even a canon divergent AU, like where, you know, maybe like a Tony, a canon divergent AU with Tony and like the events of Dead Air, maybe where he chooses not to let it go, right? Making that my divergence point, where I change an event that doesn't make any sense in canon. But if the divergence point is around Tony being absent, correcting Ziva's competence because it really was bad writing isn't figuring out the ripples. If that makes sense. So I think you have a valid point that you could, when you're looking at elements that are badly written, when it comes to figuring out, you know, where do you want to diverge from or what elements you want to change, that's great. But when it comes to evaluating ripples of into canon and how something ripples across canon, that's not where you're course correcting for bad writing. Now, you could actually assume that Ziva was such a bad shot in that moment because she was actually trying to get Tony killed. It's also why she opened fire in the container to see if she could accidentally shoot him in a moment of so-called panic. You could write that. That wouldn't be a ripple. That's a plot bunny. Somebody can have it if you want it. <laughs> I'm just saying. Well, when, when honestly, when Boxed In first aired like when it was on the air, there were a few people who wrote boxed in tags um, about Ziva's behaviors around that whole thing being deliberate. Yeah. Um, that it actually makes a lot of sense. But what if it was actually Gibbs instead of Tim? In, in the box? Before the box and in the box. Um, well, they would be screwed technologically speaking. Um, if Gibbs goes missing during boxed in, um, and Tony is in Washington on a different team. I think um, he would get tapped to find Gibbs and Ziva. Um, I do wonder if Ziva would have been more on her game 
if Gibbs had been there. Now, I don't think that Ziva would have at that point point blank killed him if she wanted him dead. Um, because she was trying to secure her position with Gibbs and with the team and with NCIS because she really did not want to go back to Israel and to her father. So, but if she could, but if she could get rid of Tony with an accident or friendly fire, I think she'd have been all over it or to have somebody else shoot him. Yeah, I actually think, um, Ziva could very easily have ended up shooting herself when she opened, when she opened fire in that box, it's hard to make, to me, make that an act of malice because she'd have to have an exceptional grasp of trajectory and be super confident about where that bullet was going to go. And I just don't think she could be because once it starts bouncing no. around in that box, she could have very easily gotten herself shot. So I do think she could have gotten herself shot by accident, shot, shot on purpose like a frustration point for her that she was just super frustrated to be in that box with tony yeah she lost her temper which does not speak well to her training no but if she fired in that box with gibbs present whether he got hurt or not i think he'd he'd can her ass i think the minute they got out of that he'd fire her he'd send ship her butt back to israel because i don't think he I would tolerate that kind of done it. Uh, i don't think she'd have panicked i don't think she'd have let herself panic in front of him um but if she had, I think he'd have shipped her right back to Israel because I don't think Gibbs, if he ever, if he saw that level of panic in somebody on his team, um, I just don't think he would tolerate it. You know, actually, I do see that level of planning in Ziva because I do think that um, Ziva targeted Kate so she could take Kate's place. And she had Ari kill Kate on purpose. That she picked his target. You're talking to, well, we've talked about that, but were you talking to me about yeah. using that level of planning in Ziva? Queenie. Oh, okay. Yeah, we've talked about it. Definitely, is my headcanon that that Ziva Matt, Ziva chose who on the team died. I think that they set that up mm -hmm. and then changed their mind. I think she was set up from the very beginning as a character to be someone that we would eventually hate, but then fans liked her so much that they changed her story, her arc. Some fans, I didn't like her. I never, I never liked her, but I know, I know more people who did like her than didn't. Most of my friends and family just really were and really enamored with her. And and a lot of, I, and the thing is, I wanted to like her, I just didn't. I was like, mm, no. She's smug, and I hate smug. I'm pretty sure Eli and Candy was just crazy, like psychotic, or at the very least, a sociopath. I could definitely see so. He had no problems with just killing, yeah. you know, having all of his children killed in one, one oh, way or another. He just he just used them left, right, and center. He didn't care what the cost to them was for his political machinations. Yeah. He just didn't care. Um, there comes a point when you make a whole bunch of decisions about the um, your character's path that you obliterate canon. So canon no longer is an issue, but your ripples will always be an issue. Now, an example of, um, so I have, my two longest works recently have both been Teen Wolf. And in one case, I nearly obliterated Canon with my divergence point. And, and the, the other. you posted today was banging. Thank you. Girl, I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, and that, and, and the, the um, unobstructed views will tie a, 
a lot more closely into canon because they're all still in Beacon Hills. Um, there, there's where there where there will be some big stuff in the future that starts to affect all, but all those canon events are still basically coming, right? Whereas, um, with the exception of just one giant hand wave I did in that story, um, I'm pretty much at the same divergence point in Duty of the Living, but because of the way because of the stuff that happened because styles chose to leave beacon hills um and not come back um it just it set everything up into a completely different path so a lot of stuff just kind of got it just it just obliterated a lot of canon events um and i made mentions of some of the ones that still happened but the hand happened differently so there was like a lot of lot lot of lot less death and destruction uh, not that they would know that, of course, because, you know, they don't have any way of knowing what the future could have been. But a lot less bad things happen because they got some significant magical intervention in those circumstances earlier on. But a lot of events just didn't happen at all. Because, and and the easy reason is because they got the Nemeton dealt with. I really enjoyed that thing. Not enjoyed, but I really was in that was that part with the spark with the with the twins corrupted spark was on point. That was just like yes, that is exactly what happened. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> that just became my absolute one hundred percent headcanon about Scott's true alpha status, which was bullshit. So, um, werewolf Jesus. Okay, you are no more. Yeah. So, but that was the, those. Those two stories, which both are two most recent novel-length works, basically, um, uh, both start from the same exact point in canon, basically, which is right after the, the basement, the kidnapping, or right during the, the Styles kidnapping. It, you know, one starts a day later than the other, basically. Um, but one one deals with immediate ripples, right? So unobstructed views deals with immediate ripples of that and how it goes differently. And just basically very subtle changes that ripple very slowly into really big changes. Whereas um, Duty of the Living is more like a nuclear strike because no one negotiates for styles. He says, you know, if you want to stay involved with these shenanigans, I want you to get out of town for a while and try to get some perspective. And it, Styles leaving becomes a nuclear strike on canon. So anyway, so that is a. Um, but yes, Jilly's fic would have totally qualified for November. And yet I wrote it. And Quantum Bang. And yet I wrote it in August <laughs> and July or whatever. Yeah, I've got to when I when I when I finished it at fifty when it finished like right it's like fifty fifty thousand five hundred words. I went. This was not supposed to be this long. <laughs> this was not supposed to be this long. Because this could have been Quantum Bang. It could have been November for sure. But, you know, but I was, I did take very, I think she's calling me a wordy bitch, but I'll take word bitch too. Um, <laughs> she probably did mean wordy. I mean, you know, but either way. But the, but the, in, in, but the inspiration was definitely from the art. So, you know. The art was gorgeous. Yes. The art, the is art is. in the chat room? Um, I don't think so. No. I really loved your theme um, throughout the whole fic about justice and duty. It was great. It was awesome. Thank you. I like I like themes like that where you can see the thread just kind of moving throughout the whole story. 
um, whether it be, you know, so it's, it's something that I try to do myself is like, you know, kind of weaving the theme into various um, character arcs and situations in the characters um, growing and moving and changing through it. And it was just really well done. I, I really enjoy that whole justice thing. Although, you know, at the very end, I was thinking, take Scott's werewolf. He doesn't deserve it. <laughs> <laughs> take the wolf. Take it. Take it. He's Make a it. bit. He's a pain in the butt. <laughs> um, I actually, I thought about it. I did think about it because actually, and my original draft from the plot called for him no longer being a werewolf. But then I thought, you know, I don't actually want this to be a curable condition. And uh, she was she was testing him at that whole thing anyway. But and then I decided that it was more of a punishment to make him choose to be a werewolf and then have to learn to live with it for the rest of his life. So when he's been railing about it for years. So it, that was, I decided to go the, the direction of him having to to live with it rather than Oh, I do think that there was some. I I definitely ha, ha, was torn about which way to go with that because, like I said, my, yeah. my I still like Scott. You know, my because we I think being a werewolf is cool and he doesn't deserve it. But my original impulse was was to was to have have it taken from him. So I did like that he can't get the alpha spark back because he yeah. doesn't deserve it. He doesn't need it. He's sanctimonious twat. Well, he, I think he's got major daddy issues. I think he's got major daddy issues, and that's why he can't deal with an alpha. And that's why part of the thing was is that he has to he has to learn to suck it up and be in a pack and get over his daddy issues. The, <laughs> I got a terrible bit of giggles though over the making out. <laughs> <laughs> well. Oh. Oh, poor Styles. Poor Erica, actually. You know, <laughs> that was Cora. That was Cora. That was Whoever Cora. it was, it was Cora. Poor Cora. <laughs> she was enjoying it, though. Although, my favorite part of that was um, um, Mr. S has got a handful of Uncle P's pee. <laughs> I I was just I don't and I I wrote that line and I wasn't thinking about what I was writing right because sometimes you're just writing right you're not, yeah and then I and I paused and I just started laughing and I was like oh my god what's wrong with me <laughs> everything yeah <laughs> but consequences um and I, there are you can make a turn so drastic in your divergence in canon where canon is no longer even plausible. And and that actually, you you probably all had a moment where you've read a canon divergent story where you went, what? And it's and what what made you jolt was because there was a sharp turn and then canon happened anyway. So you knew it resonated with you that it didn't make sense. <laughs> it's like, wow, it really, really felt like that was a nuclear strike on canon. How come canon's happening? Um and you've also encountered um, something new being inserted into your into your fandom and, and into the canon. And the consequences of this plot device are so astronomically terrible that you don't... And the writer never addresses it. And you just... And I don't want to give any specific examples that I've read because I don't want to pick on anybody, Right. But I think the time travel thing in the MCU is a perfect example of that. They obviously set up their time travel theory so that Steve Rogers could go back in time and not impact their timeline. 
because he's not allowed to change his past, right? Except that when he went back in time, it stopped being his past and became his future. And there's no excuse for what he let go on. No. But they didn't want their reader, their viewer to delve into that. To take that apart. We were just supposed to accept it. And swallow it and move on. We were supposed to accept that Steve Rogers went back in time and lived his life with Peggy. And let her work with Nazis every day and never said a word. We're supposed to expect accept the fact that it was okay that he left Bucky in the hands of the Russians and in the Red Room and then eventually in Hydra where he was tortured and used to murder people for decades. And we're supposed to swallow it wholesale. And we aren't supposed to ask where he got that fucking shield from. Did I lose you, Jilly? No, I'm just sitting here shaking my head going, this is why we're not writing this <laughs> story in November. Because we're still bitter. <laughs> Fuck you. So bitter. Fuck you, Marvel. Fuck you. <laughs> of all the sh- and of all the pl- he, he's done plenty of shitty things, but him staying back in time, that was just like, oh, come on. Come on. It's just, it's so... Oof. Except, okay, so they're saying the writers after the movie came out saying he didn't do that. But that is exactly what he did. What do you mean that he, that he didn't do that? That he didn't just sit by and let it all happen. Except he didn't change the timeline. Because if he had, they wouldn't have been sitting there where they were. Right. For them, for him to get onto that bench where he was at the end of the movie means he didn't change a single fucking thing in the timeline. Because anything that he do- that he did could have prevented him from getting onto that bench. The thing is, if Steve had changed anything, I think it's implicit that he would have wound up in a Splinter universe. Where the events would not have played out. And he wouldn't have been sitting on that bench. But by virtue of the fact, yeah, but by virtue of the fact that they were looking for Steve to show up and Steve didn't show up and then there he is, much older, with his shield, implies he didn't do anything. That he just let Bucky be tortured by Hydra and let his wife go to work every day and work for Hydra, work with with Hydra agents. That's what that implies to me. I mean, because if how- he'd gone into a split timeline, then he never would have shown back up. He would have just been gone. Right, he's just been gone. I, I just don't. I mean, they tried to give that bizarre time travel theory in order to make us not question this. I think, but <laughs> if- they tried to put a teeny tiny lampshade on a big giant lamp. To put a lampshade on the sun, but I was thinking the same thing. But <laughs> I was like, "That wasn't okay." <laughs> well, but okay. So here's the thing: the, the, their their notion of time travel, frankly, means they didn't need to return the stones. If that's the case, if they're th- if they were that committed to their their notion of time travel, they didn't have to return stones. He didn't need to go back. It need to go back at all if that if that if they're if what they were saying about time travel worked, which is that you can't change the past, then they didn't need to return the stones. They didn't need to return to return the Infinity Stones where they took them from. I'm just saying. Okay, she says unless he came back to give the shield to Sam and live the rest of his life in the future. If he had done that, he wouldn't be an old man, and he would have also appeared on the platform. Right. Not on the bench, an old man. Except it's not a separate timeline. Because if it was a separate timeline, he wouldn't have shut up on that bench. And they wouldn't have been standing there around that platform. 
waiting for him. So, I mean, they they tried they tried to do something with time travel that they probably thought was new and clever and didn't bother to get an alpha reader. It's stupid. Anyway, but that's those shenanigans. Steve growing Steve's shenanigans are why we're not writing the MCU thing for November. It, yeah. It yeah, it's it's like I mean, look, well, of course the question becomes is while young Steve might had not had known that he was banging his niece, his niece certainly would have met her uncle Steve at one time or another, which means she knew she was banging her a younger version of her uncle. Just saying. Very gross. And um, also we do need to figure out, I mean, you, they, they know what they never actually even explained where the shield came from. Because the only two people actually who could have made that shield that Steve Rogers would have had access to would have been Howard Stark or Tony Stark. But, uh, yeah, so it's just bullshit. But that's a really good example of not paying attention to your consequences. And as far, this is a characterization issue because it turns Steve Rogers, who's already a dick, into a monster. His, his, his actions become monstrous. Mm-hmm. They couldn't have made him any less a monster if they'd actually made him a Nazi. Oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> they did that too, didn't they? <laughs> well, someone did that, yeah. In the comic books anyway, yeah. But there is um, my headcanon. We've talked about this on the podcast. It is my headcanon that the whole in the multiverse that was was not ripped open, not created by the snap. It was created by Steve. Staying back, staying back in time. He fucked it all up. Fucked it's all it his all fault. Up. Yeah. Blame but, Steve Rogers to the tune of Blame Canada. <laughs> now, MCU, I, I would say MCU because it has such, it is, a, it is a little bit of a difficult canon to take a complete left turn in. And, and here's why. It's because there's a lot... Let's say you have Tony Stark refuse to join the Avengers. There's still going to be a lot of shit that goes down that you're going to have to figure out how that affects Tony. Because if you're writing Tony is still a good guy, well, what are you doing with him? And how is he responding? You're still going to have to work through all of those events that happened in that canon and go, is this going to be the, the Avengers that deal with this? Is Tony going to deal with this? You know, do they come together on this? I mean, what, there's, there's, it's, a, it's a difficult canon to just make a change that literally exempts you from having to figure out the effect of your change on canon because it is all so tightly enmeshed. And because let's say that in that particular case, Tony Stark is a character who stepped up and dealt with major problems when they happened. And I just don't see him sitting on the sidelines that there's an alien invasion. So, so, and there, and the alien invasion was already coming at the end of Iron Man two. Right. So, so at the end of Iron Man two, Thor's hammer has fallen to earth. Um, and, shield response so-called response to this new unexpected never before seen alien threat with act- with activating the tesseract right so there are some things that you can't get away from occurring there there are global s- scale events that happen in Iron Man that happened in the MCU that you're not going to get away from happening so let's say you do have Tony refuse to join the Avengers he doesn't want anything to do with them after Iron Man 2 um Thor's hammer is still going to come to Earth. The event, the Chitari are still going to come. 
Conceivably, Tony's still going to be constructing his tower. He just might be in it when the Chitauri come. Um, so these things are still going to happen. That that thing that happened um, for, in Thor the Dark World, that event is still going to happen because that planetary alignment um, had nothing to do with whether Tony Stark was with the Avengers or not. So that event is still going to occur. That alignment is still going to occur. Um, so there are some events that are still going to take place. Now, there are some events that might go down differently or might not happen if Tony isn't around. But it's very difficult, is my point about the MCU, to, to make a major left turn like Tony doesn't join the Avengers and literally not have to deal with canon because it's just it's just hard unless, unless you take him off planet. In which case, I still think you would need to think about it because he's eventually going to hear about an alien invasion on Earth. But okay. Um, whereas it's a lot easier in a fandom that doesn't have massive global consequences like that um, for like Tony Dinozo to move to Hawaii and you don't have to deal with much of NCIS at that point or, you know, if at all. Um, like again, I still think it's worth stepping through the events that he's missing out on and figuring out did anybody die because he wasn't around you know whatever just making sure you understand but you don't have to actually do much with the canon if you're if you've taken your character completely away from it um so you know if if you're somebody who struggles with with working out the consequences of a of a of a divergence point it might be easier to do a divergence where you are doing something that takes your character way away from the, the canon circumstances, as opposed to something that is narrowly branched from canon. Because that is where you're going to have to really be able to dig in. Now, ripples are a thing no matter what. I don't, I don't want to make this imply like ripples go away. When you have your character do something, it will sometimes logically follow that there's going to be a consequence. And when you fail to give that consequence to those actions, readers notice. That's one kind of ripple. But we're talking specifically about picking out your ripples in canon. So you like diverge from canon, but you're close to canon. You're, you're, you know, narrow divergence from canon. What are the ripple effects? you know, through on the Avengers to Tony Stark not being in the Avengers? What are the, what is the, what is the effect to Tony of not being part of the Avengers? You know, how does that go? Do they actually let him not be part of the Avengers? Because we all know, we all know that them pretending like they didn't want Tony for the initiative was just that. It was a manipulation tactic. And if Tony ever gave them a hard no, they would try to recruit him. So what I would say is if Tony is a hard no and he never joins the Avengers, the day that Loki landed on Earth is the day that Fury activated uh, Captain Marvel's beeper. Because if he doesn't have Tony Stark, he needs Captain Marvel. Honestly, having Captain Marvel, things would have gone down way differently. The Chitauri. The Chitauri would still be coming, even if, no, no matter who Tony Stark works with. Um, the Jatari are coming because S.H.I.E.L.D. activated the Tesseract. Because Thor's hammer fell to Earth. Um, and renewed their fear of aliens. Because we already knew they, they, they already knew about aliens. Yeah. Um, based on the events of Captain Marvel. Fury had up. And you know, honestly, it might even play into that. Fury had an up close and personal encounter of the third kind. Um, things calmed down. Then this... Florkin took his eye. Yeah. Well, you know. As you happens. do. Yeah. As one does. Cats happen. Um, 
cats happen. Um, and and things calm down and things get peaceful and then here's Thor. And I think it could you can even you could even say that it renewed some paranoia for 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 um Fury and he went a little bug nuts for a second and activated the Tesseract and started making weapons. That's I think that's a charitable but plausible interpretation of Fury's actions. And so at that point, once the Tesseract gets activated, it gets Thanos' attention. So the the Tatari are coming to Earth, whether Tony Stark is an Avenger or not. Whether he is working with NASA, whether he is building his own space agency, whether he's trying to be the new Elon Musk, it doesn't matter. what Whatever he's doing, it doesn't matter at this point because the Chitauri are coming, which means that eventually they'll be over New York. They might not pick, they might go a different route. Was Tony's, was it the arc reactor that caught their attention in New York? Is there still an art reactor in California? Because he had one running his fa- his his headquarters in California as well. It was huge. Um, did did Loki only target his building because he had interactions with him, um, on the helicarrier, or was that always a target? Even if that arc reactor blew up in the first movie, and I don't think it did. I, th- I think they prevented that, didn't they? No, they did blow up the arc reactor in the first movie, but they did it on purpose. But that doesn't mean he didn't build another one because he was still there for um he was still there in Iron Man 2. Yeah, you you mean another one in LA? Yeah. I, I don't see why he wouldn't. I mean he built one for his building in New York. Right. So certainly he would have built another one. So there's one in LA, there's one in New York. There could be another one for all you know somewhere else if he has a backup location for his server farm and he fucking should. Hello, Jarvis. Yeah, well, I'm. I, well, you got to figure that probably he's got multiple facilities that have arc reactors in them. I mean, you got to figure the compound was run on an arc reactor, and that thing had to have been under construction for a long ass time before Age of Ultron happened. And I imagine wherever they were building the um, helicarriers had an arc reactor. Potentially, yeah. So, but either way, the Jatari are coming. So there comes a point in the battle. I mean, when this when they start coming through the portal, Tony Stark Tony Stark will be on point. If if he's in New York, he's in that battle. If he's in L.A., he's in that battle because he can cross the country relatively quickly. He's yeah. gonna at least try. But the but here's a but here's the thing. If he's not in communication with Shield, if and if Star, and if Fury can't reach him, and the Council launches that nuclear weapon. And Tony doesn't know it's coming, or he finds out too late that it's coming. He could blow up New York, but we'd prefer you not. But this is where Captain Marvel could be really helpful because she also flies and she could fly it into space. And she actually right. would be at much less risk than Tony Stark of flying a nuclear weapon into space. So, you know, just because you make it, in, that's one of those things where if you've made it difficult for to, to stop the nuke, because maybe Tony Stark isn't even there or he doesn't get there quite in time. Well, if you've tapped Captain Marvel to be in to come in, but on the other hand, Tony could miss most of the battle and show up just in time because the nuke was the very last thing in that battle. Mm-hmm. So if he's in L.A. or you've got him somewhere else, and he, you know, hotfoots it as fast as he can to New York, um, he could get there just in time to grab that nuke and fly it through the portal. He doesn't necessarily have to yeah. be a full battle. 
Now, because he is not, and this changes a whole bunch of things, actually. If he does get there in time just to do the nuclear weapon, and your, and your Fury sees him coming, and you gotta, you gotta do this for us. We got this. They, they fucking did it. I can't. I couldn't stop it. So okay. So he hasn't met Steve Rogers at this point. So the first time he meets Steve Rogers after this is Steve Rogers watching him make the sacrifice play. How does that change Steve Rogers' interactions with Tony? Probably quite a lot. Although Steve's opinion of Tony was set before he ever even met Tony. So, and then Tony was kind of cavalier, didn't take things very seriously in Steve's mind. Um, although I never think I never I think anybody who assumes that Tony Stark isn't taking that kind of taking the situation seriously is just not paying attention, right? Um, but he so he has this opinion that's set and then he's got nothing no personal interaction with tony to counter that opinion or to reinforce that opinion and then the next thing he sees of tony is him flying a nuke through a portal that might make that might jolt steve it might make him wonder if shield has been lying to him what if the first thing he wonders after meeting tony stark is if shield has been lying to him or that's literally the first thing that crosses his mind is Tony Stark lands on the ground and makes some pithy comment. And he thinks this man and all Steve can think about is he just, he just grabbed a nuke and flew it through a portal thinking that he was going to die. What if, what if shield's been lying to me? Well, JLR makes a point. Would the helicarrier even still be in the air? Well, you got to back up back. You got to back up further. Okay. You're, you're jumping, you're jumping the gun on the ripples there a little bit. I don't see Steve being able to defeat Thor and get Loki. So Loki never went to the helicarrier. I think Thor would take off with him. Loki might be able to get away from him, but I don't know that Loki ever winds up on the helicarrier, even though that was Loki's goal. And Steve Loki, Rogers is no match for Thor and Loki together. I don't think he's a match for Thor by himself. No. But the thing is, is even you know, Loki and Thor, I mean, even in I you know, honestly, I think that if Thor had spent more time with Loki, he might have noticed that he was under the thrall of Thanos. Yeah. I think so, too. I think that he had a very brief if, conversation with Loki that was interrupted if by... If they hadn't... Yeah, so if, if, if they hadn't interfered, Thor could have taken Loki back to Asgard. That could have derailed the whole invasion, at least from the p perspective of them coming through a portal. But... Was Loki even up there trying to open the portal, or was that all Doctor, whatever his name was? Uh, Selvig. That um, was already underway, wasn't it? It was underway, but they still needed the glow stick of destiny, um, which at that point was on the, um, what's it called? It was on the Quinjet. And I assume so. The plan was already in in in. I mean, you, you'd have to work through it and see what worked for your plot, right? Do you want to avert? all those shenanigans do you want to prevent barton from doing that um if if maybe thor and loki get into it because loki's trying to get away from him to get back to the heli to get back to the quinjet and he gets his cognitive recalibration from thor and then he breaks this you know so it depends on what you're trying to um i don't know if thor should deliver the cognitive recalibration because it might not go well <laughs> can you get shaken baby syndrome as an adult what is that? Is that like a Whip, super concussion? Whiplash, <laughs> whiplash or something? I don't know. Well, but I think if they got into a fight, he could have a significant head injury, which is the cognitive recalibration, right? 
But then you don't have Clint Barton during the invasion because he's not going to be waking up from that anytime soon. Yeah, you'd have to work through what would happen if the person controlling the scepter wasn't controlling it anymore. How is the scepter's will being reinforced? Is Loki having to do it? Does it not need any kind of reinforcement? I mean, it's a whole big can of worms, right? Is there something in the Mind Stone controlling the scepter, therefore controlling, which goes back to what all the things that Ultron could be. It was a previous podcast. We talked about how there could be an intelligence in the Mind Stone, either um, planted there by Thanos or, you know, etc. That's yeah. a big podcast. You'll have to listen to that. <laughs> so you got to kind of figure out there's, and it would all de- depend upon, and which way I went with some of those events would depend on what I was trying to accomplish. But it is, it is thorny because yes, without Tony on the helicarrier, I don't know that they get those, that they don't, I don't, I don't, they get those, those, um, but if Tony isn't on the helicarrier and Barton knows that Iron Man is not a threat on the helicarrier that he needs to distract or destroy, might he take a more stealth approach to getting on the helicarrier? Uh, the thing is, it, the whole helicarrier thing was was that about that 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 the whole everything about the helicarrier they were a little murky about what the intent of that was because it seemed like the intent of that it couldn't have been just about rescuing loki because loki let himself get caught so was it really just about frag fragmenting the avengers i thought it was about getting the scepter back well, it couldn't have been about getting the scepter back because Loki let himself and the scepter get caught so that Barton could track them to the helicarrier so they could get Loki and the scepter back. So, so what it just, did they need the helicarrier for? Well, I, I mean... I need to watch that a little bit. Well, the thing I is... I watched it a long time. When, when Tony confronted Loki at the penthouse, he talked about that yes, they'd kind of been fragmented or running around like chickens with their head cuts off or whatever he said in that scene. Um, and that they'd be, he kind of split them up basically. And Loki said that was the plan. And Tony said it wasn't a good plan. So that implied, um, well, but unleashing the Hulk for what purpose, you know, again, you got this is, this is part about figuring out ripples, right? Is unleashing it for why they say these things. They, they made statements, but there wasn't a lot of exploration of the motive. What did this accomplish other than fragmenting the Avengers, right? What did Unleashing the Hulk do? You know, um, the Unleashing the Hulk thing was a conclusion. Not really a problem. Yeah. I mean, wholesale. I, you know, honestly, the, I, I think the whole Helicarrier scene was about establishing... Um, animosity between um, Tony and uh, Steve Rogers. I think it was a plot device. Oh, I'm yeah, that's sure it any other point. Well, I think that I don't. You know, maybe Loki. You could even say that Loki didn't see any value in going to the helicarrier because Stark wasn't there. Stark wasn't there to be distracted or injured. So what was the point? Because they don't need Stark to be in his building. Oh, oh. Okay, so all of that, all that grandstanding, all that helicarrier stuff was to keep Tony Stark away from that arc reactor so they could set their shit up. Because that shit had to already be in progress when, when, when Loki got to the tower. Yeah. 
Um, they're damaging the helicarrier. That 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 keeps Tony Stark busy. It keeps him busy, but okay. It's still thin. It's still thin. It is thin. Because it's very thin. I think now I do think that whole scene, I agree with you. It was written so that Tony and Steve could have animosity and get over it, right? They needed them to have that moment of tension, an obstacle between them that they overcome and learn to come together as a team, blah, 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 blah. But it, from a motivation perspective, the whole thing, their motivations they ascribe and what they say that all that stuff was accomplishing, they could have accomplished that in ways that had absolutely nothing to do with Loki getting himself captured. Because Loki getting himself captured just for the express purpose of leading Barton to them to rescue him so that they could cause problems for the helicarrier. There are ways they could have found caused problems for the helicarrier that didn't have. That, that or wasn't maybe the writer just wanted to call um, Scarlett Johansson a mealing quim. I mean, I guess they just wanted Tom Hiddleston or her to have that moment. Oh, uh, could be. Maybe Tom Hiddleston wanted to have that moment. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Like, well, if we're going to have Tom Hiddleston in this scene, maybe we need to take advantage. I, 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 <laughs> I, it, it. Maybe now that was, did Barton track the helicarrier by virtue of, I don't know. It, I mean, the fact that Barton was able to still use existing landing codes to get on the helicarrier when they knew that multiple shield agents had been compromised was a plot hole. Um, it just, you know, was was and it was Barton tracking the helicarrier or was Barton tracking the scepter? Was that why they had that the scepter was so that Barton could find the helicarrier because hopefully Shield would have locked out that Quinjet from being able to track the helicarrier. But who the fuck knows? Um, I, the thing is, I mean, yeah, the, the, there's all the obvious things I said in the movie about creating diversions, putting the team up, da da da. da. But it's just from a realistically, there are better ways to have accomplished all of that stuff. So if you're if you're absenting Tony from any of those scenes and you're trying to figure out what happened, the reason that all of those motivations become important is because how much was Tony Stark a factor in the motivations, right? And if and if really all of that helicarrier business was about keeping Tony Stark busy, if Tony Stark's not there, then it doesn't need to happen. Which means that Loki will find another way to keep Tony Stark busy. And right. out of his tower so they can launch their portal. <laughs> well, at the time, Tony was with Pepper. That could be a different kind of cognitive recalibration. Um, I'm going to recalibrate your brain through your dick. I mean, Loki is hot like burning, but I don't think Tony would cheat. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, <laughs> no. Um, Ugh. I, I just I, I like I like Loki too much to do that to, to do Pepper to him. Um, God, if she was always trying to change Tony, can you imagine how she'd always be trying to change Loki? I don't think it would last long. I think he would be like, "I'm going no. to I'm going to put you through the devil's anus." <laughs> <laughs> you harpy. <laughs> I'm pretty sure there's actual harpy blood in you. <laughs> was it actually called the devil's anus? I kind of forgot. It was actually called the devil's anus, yes. <laughs> Wasn't it? What was that line where he said, how do I get safe passage? 
<laughs> yeah, he says, I think the devil saying this. Yeah, they wanted to go looking. They wanted to go see. At first, he's like, I don't, we can't go through the devil's anus. We'll all die. Like, I'd like to go through the devil's anus, please. Queenie, I think you spent too much time writing crack. The devil's anus. I mean, you know, it, it does. <laughs> now, the thing is, all the other hand, okay, I will say, if Tony is. You know, finding his inner inner assertiveness enough to tell Shield to fuck off. I don't think he would stay with Pepper for very long. So I agree, I agree. Know. So I don't I don't know that Tony and Pepper would actually still be together by the time the Avengers happened, since they probably she would have, have accomplished twelve percent of that tower. No, she really wouldn't have. So um, does someone want to give me an example that I can tear to pieces, like a terrible, rude, bully person that I am? <sighs> Well, we need to we need we need to talk about divergence points. Daniel Jackson goes to Atlantis. When does Daniel Jackson go to Atlantis? Does he go on the first wave? Okay, Daniel Jackson on the first wave. Um, the immediate consequence for Earth and SG One and that whole deal is, uh, well. I think SG one falls apart basically, but but second, no Ori. Third, when the Prometheus gets stolen by Vala, they don't get it back. <laughs> Vala gets a ship, but that's if the Prometheus goes on the same date that it would have went. Um, if they were heading to Atlantis before letters to Pegasus on Prometheus or letters from Pegasus. Um, Jack O'Neill might be on the Prometheus, which would change those events drastically. Or Jack did not wait for Prometheus to be built and borrowed a mothership and goes to Pegasus. You know, depending on how you want to write his relationship with with Jack O'Neill um, and and uh, Daniel Jackson. But um, I do think that shortly after Letters from Pegasus, when the that would have caused an upsurge in um, so Elizabeth Weir on the city. Daniel Jackson, if he's going as an official member of the second wave, the first wave, he's probably directly under Elizabeth in the hierarchy on the city due to his experience in the program. And that's where Jack would have put him as Elizabeth's second. The moment Elizabeth started arguing with John Shepard about rescuing Marshall Sumner, Daniel Jackson would have taken control of the expedition. Because Daniel Jackson is a soft scientist, yes, but he's also been a part of an SG team for um, a great big damn long time. And he has learned, if he's learned anything from Jack O'Neill, is that you don't leave your people behind and you don't leave your people in the hands of the enemy. Mm -hmm. So when she started arguing against rescuing their people from hostile aliens, it would have been over for her. And if Daniel didn't take over, he would have vehemently been on board with the idea of the military taking control per the expedition charter in the event of a threat. Either way, Elizabeth Weir would not have been the expedition leader from that point forward. Yeah. And I think that if, if, hmm. I think Daniel and Rodney do get along. So I think that if Daniel, 
had gone to the it's thing that frenemies. The thing that woke the wraith up was the was it the him picking up the necklace or was it the killing the queen? The necklace brought that hive to the planet. Right. John killing the queen, she was the keeper. Her death telepathically woke up a big hive group. A bigger hive bigger group. Hive group. Big okay. So the wave so so Daniel being there, if things progress to the point that Sumner gets still gets kidnapped and he takes over in that set of circumstances, the Wraith have woken, in which case the divergence point may leave so so that's so there this is where it starts to become complicated in terms of stepping through the plot, right? So the Wraith still get awoken. The queen still dies, but Sumner may or may not live because Daniel could cut down on the amount of time. So you, that's a decision you have to make. Does, does Sumner live or not? Um, either way, whether it's Daniel, John, or Sumner, Elizabeth is not in charge of the expedition, but the Wraith has still been awoken. So at that point, you then have to, so there's decision points that be made. Who lives, who dies, who ultimately is in charge once, once the dust settles. And then you have to step through the episodes and go, does Daniel being around as the only first contact expert they have on the city, does his presence substantively affect the events that happened in season one? And how does it affect them? Is he on AR1 is he on is he on a different reconnaissance team? You know, what is what does he do? So Rabbi asked in the um Rabbi asked in the chat room, would Daniel go to the would Daniel go on that first trip to Athos? I'm gonna say no. I wouldn't think so either. Sum, Sumner didn't take any civilians with him. Um and I don't think he wants to be the one to lose O'Neill's archaeologist in Pegasus. Well, but also think about what they were going out there for. They weren't going out there to meet the Athosians. They were going to try to find an alpha site in case because right. they were looking for a place so, to evacuate. Yeah, I don't think Daniel would have been on that particular. I, I do think he would end up on a first contact team, but that particular mission wasn't about first contact, and he didn't take any other civilians with him, so he wouldn't have taken Daniel Jackson either. And I don't think Daniel would have wanted to go. No, I think that he, he would have been working. He would have been working the problem with Rodney to to get the city off, to, to figure out how to keep the city because Daniel at was that point fluent and ancient. Yeah, at that point the city was still underwater, and they were looking for a site to evacuate to. Mm -hmm. So Daniel would have been on board with McKay trying to keep that city to keep the city because that's what they were there for. I would think Daniel would be knee deep in the database trying to figure out how to save the city, where they should go. Um, I think his best, his linguistics at that point and his, his, both his, his clear thinking under pressure at, that he had cultivated. I say clear thinking, his clear thinking under pressure to me was a cult, was something that cultivated over time, but he did cultivate it. So his, his linguistics and his, his, that clear thinking under pressure were, would have been very needed on the city at that point. So I don't think things would have, you know, gone down much different on Athos, um, and and so then, you, but then you have to figure out, you know, Elizabeth. So so let's say your point of divergence is Daniel goes, and the first major hiccup is 
the calling happens and they come back and John wants to mount a rescue mission and Elizabeth says no. Well, this is the first big thing that Daniel's going to have an impact on because he's going to go, what do you mean no? Of course he can go. And he immediately pulls the charter out and overrules her and takes over. Okay, so that does that does that event that you just changed, does that save Sumner's life or not? The queen's still going to get shot, but does it save Sumner? If it does, it's a very different. You got one set of circumstances. If if it's if you if they're able to save Sumner, Sumner's going to be in charge. Well, what then does the rest of the season look like with Sumner in the lead? If that you don't save him, John comes back to the city, who who is probably more amenable to a civilian being controlled because he was in canon. Does Daniel stay in charge or does John become in charge? So it becomes, and each one of, so that's three different potential leaders, right? Daniel, Sumner, and John. Each one of those is going to cause events in season one to play out differently. I don't think John would actually want to lead the city given a choice. But I think Jackson's experience in the program would make it easier for John to accept him as, um, and to deal with him and to work with him. Because Daniel Jackson's a different animal from Elizabeth Weir. Daniel Jackson wouldn't have negotiated with the race. They eat people. I don't think it would have been his go-to solution. I agree. Maybe it would have been in season one or season two of SG-1. But by season eight or nine, I don't think Daniel Jackson would have been like, you know what? It's okay if they eat people. Let's just sit down and have a conversation with them. I just don't No. I don't know how he would have reacted, but I don't think that would have been <laughs> I don't think that would have been his go-to solution. No, I think he I think that I think he'd have done a little investigation, like with the Athosians, because he's an anthropologist and an archaeologist, right? He's gonna get in there, find out what it's like living in Pegasus, how many have died, you know, how many how many civil civilizations have been called nearly to extinction. He's gonna have his first experience with the Wraith, and that's gonna be it. He's gonna have an informed opinion about the thing, and there's gonna be nothing else to say. Um but still when it comes to figuring out standing orders would be if you see a Wraith, you kill a Wraith. And we're gonna be practicing headshots. I hope we have extra ammunition because you people who can't hit the broadside of a barn, that shit's going to stop right now. So it, it could be if Sumner dies that John and Daniel talk about it and they agree that Daniel's going to go ahead and take the position of city administrator and John's going to head the military and that they will lead together, but that ultimately Daniel's in charge. I could see John making that decision, but I could also see Daniel saying, no, the charter very explicit. I, I got rid of Elizabeth based on the charter. And the charter very explicitly says the military is in command when, um, if we encounter hostile forces out here. So you are actually in command. But if you want me to run the city and the civilian side of things, I will do that. That makes more sense to me, I guess, because you're right. Because if is if Elizabeth's out, it's because civilian rule is no longer in play because of the thing charter. Um, because of the expedition charter. Uh, but I would actually be inclined to rescue uh, Sumner. I would too. Because I've never actually written Sumner. Speaking of Sumner, um, we have that one sentence prompt about John and the spirit animal and um, the sentinel. Well, someone responded to that with a Sumner and Shepherd pairing. Uh, Trek cat. I read it this morning. 
It, I really enjoyed it. I didn't expect to because Sumner, but I did. Yeah, it was banging. It, it was, was really it was good. On point. It was gorgeous. I was like, what? <laughs> I even logged into AO3 to comment. <laughs> and I don't do that often. I, I was not logged I'm afraid in. I, I'm afraid I'll leave kudos or something terrible. I uh, yeah. stuck with it. I was not logged in at the time, um, but I did um, leave guest kudos. But I need to log in and log in and um, comment on it. I'll get you the link. It is on AO3. It's by Trek Cat, T R E K T R E K C A T. One, one name. Thank you, Mizu. It's called Natural Selection. We'll snag the link for the podcast library, but it's um yeah it's it's Sumner it's it's Marshall Sumner and John Shepard as Sentinel and Guide, um and it is gorgeous. The ones that it prompts are on um, Ref Trade in the workshop. There's a little section in our prompt area for them, um, and it's in the um section where the prompts are, and it's called One Sentence and um those star dies prompts from me and Jilly that we shared after we you know wrote them. Um, because we were trying to figure out how we would respond to the same one sentence, one sp a, a specific sentence prompt, um, in preparation for November. Um, so I, th that's um, um, how that got started. Um, but it's just, yeah, I was like, I, I didn't even want to read it at first because it was about Sumner and it was in his point of view, and I was like, no, but I did it anyway, and I and I regret nothing. Yeah, it's it's really good. Definitely go check it out. Got to be logged in to see what. You have to be logged in to see the prompts themselves, but the the fills are usually on AO3 or people's websites or whatever. Oh, I thought I fixed that, so you wouldn't have to be logged in to see the prompts. Hmm. Well, log in. It's free. Yeah. <laughs> Make an account. It's free. Yeah, that's that's one of that's one of her other pen names. Um, yes, same author, Sin. So what was one of the other... Um... The next one I saw, I may have missed a couple, but the next one I saw was Bucky goes to Tony to fix his arm post-Winter Soldier. I have a lot of questions about that. So at the end of Winter Soldier, we see Bucky Barnes wandering around the Captain America Museum. He's obviously seeking information on himself. Um, okay, one... How long would it take for him to be aware enough of himself and the society he was living in to be comfortable enough to seek out a multimillionaire to fix his arm? Multi-billionaire. Billionaire. Um, I mean, yeah, because you just don't, you just, Tony Stark's kind of like Mordor. You just don't walk in there. I've seen some, I've seen some stories that have actually posited that, um, that exact scenario. Um, I, it doesn't quite make sense to me because I don't know how Bucky just shows up and walks in. Um, but also, I don't. I'm just trying. It's hard for me to get from if point A is Bucky needs his point his arm fixed, and point B is he goes to Tony for it. I'm having a hard time understanding the steps between point A and point B. Like, how does he conclude that Tony's the person he's going to go to? Does he remember Tony in some fashion? Is he remembering him from Hydra? Like maybe he was a, a target for Hydra. It's, it's, it's very murky. Actually, I think Steve is probably one of the last people he would, because he didn't, he didn't seek Steve out at all in canon. He actually was actively hiding from Steve. So it's just, 
if Bucky's getting himself back, um, if he's remembering, I think it's actually more realistic for Tony Stark to go looking for the Winter Soldier than it is for the Winter Soldier to go looking for him. I yeah, I agree that 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 would make more sense. It would make more sense for him to for Tony to look for him than the other way around. Um, Bucky absolutely did know Howard Stark, but the thing is, if if Bucky's starting to remember Howard and remember, then he he knows he killed Howard. Um, and so it becomes a, a then it, it becomes a really odd odd thing that I would have a hard time writing for Bucky to seek out Tony. In fact, you could probably say that Bucky realizing or remembering that he killed Howard Stark could be the very reason that he's hiding from all of them. Mm-hmm. Because Howard is a very tangible connection between him and Steve and the past, and he murdered Howard Stark. I mean, the only way it could be worse is if he'd murdered Peggy Carter. And I think what we learned from Bucky and Cannon is that he is more likely to run and hide. He's he's very honestly much like Bruce Banner in that respect, which you could um, boil down to a dissociative personality situation um, and the effect of the super soldier serum. Fight or flight. Yeah. Well, I, which I, yeah, I actually do think there probably is in, in both of their cases a dissociative identity disorder component um with the winter soldier actually being a completely separate personality but it's still it's 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 very difficult to make to connect the dots to him seeking tony out tony um now he may have some information that tony's capable of fixing his arm but now i could see a scenario where bucky barnes would not be interested in, in or encountering anybody but if the winter soldier is in charge and the winter soldier needed technical help i can see him seeking somebody out to do it but i don't see that being tony stark the the profile is too high tony stark would be a huge threat to him because at that point tony stark would know exactly who the winter soldier was he's not letting the winter soldier in his building Near his woman, near his stuff, near his kids. <laughs> you, you and Dummy are delicate. Yeah, <laughs> and the Winter Soldier is not. But even if the arm was somehow debunked, Stark Tech, he's still not going to let. That doesn't. If he doesn't know, even even if he really needed to reclaim some this this technology, he wouldn't let him in the building. It just, and I just don't. I just don't know how they would. In a way that, in in a way that I can't think of anything off the top of my head with that exact scenario of him seeking Tony out. That scenario, I can't think of a way that does not challenge my suspension of disbelief to 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 the point that it it com- commits suicide. I'm just it had a great big fall. Yeah, it, it fell right off the wall, and all the king's horses <laughs> and all the king's men could not put it back together again. Um, there was a total Humpty Dumpty moment with my suspension of disbelief. I, I can't. I mean. I don't buy it. The only way I see, like I said, the only way I see it is if Tony Stark goes hunting for the Winter Soldier. Maybe because he fi- maybe because he finds that footage of Winter Soldier murdering his parents earlier in canon. Or it, or could, it could be he's just trying to help Steve, Steve brings Bucky to him. Now that could be, or, um, or um. Tony's trying to do something nice for Steve and sees that 
because the person who had been leading the charge on finding um, Bucky was Sam Wilson, which is what Sam was doing during most of the events around Age of Ultron as he was looking for Bucky. So what if Tony was trying to be nice and he was trying to um, help Steve out and he figured out where Bucky was? Because Tony was giving them his resources, but he wasn't giving them his time, really. Well, the best way to find the Winter Soldier is to ask Jarvis to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, what if Tony finds him and goes to try to help him and thinks, you know, one guy or two guys... It's are- my head canon that Steve found out at the end of Winter Soldier when Natasha handed him that folder. That folder included the information that the Winter Soldier killed Howard Stark. Oh, I agree. Absolutely. Because there was that stuff when they found what's-his-face in the bunker in the computers. Um, they had those files that indicated that um, that the Stark's death was not an accident. an accident. So there was they laid the groundwork for him to for him for him to have found out during Winter Soldier. Now the question becomes: In this idea, does Steve tell Tony up front? Well, I mean, that all depends upon how you want to portray Steve Rogers, doesn't it? Although I have to say, I've read quite a bit of post-Civil War stories. And one of the tropes I most intensely dislike is Steve bullying Tony into fixing Bucky's arm. Um, so I personally wouldn't explore this trope, that 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 plot angle at all, of Steve bringing Bucky to Tony. Um, it just makes me deeply uncomfortable. So even for, even from a Ripple's perspective, I just find it kind of gross. Yes, well, I yes, Hydra did kill Howard. That's absolutely true. And the Winter Soldier was the tool they use. That is true. But, but there's also footage of the Winter Soldier strangling Maria Stark. Doesn't. But even if even if Tony Stark can accept that intellectually, it doesn't mean he wants to be in the room with the hand and working on the arm that literally strangled his mother to death. And it's unrealistic and it's almost cruel, I think, to expect him to. Stories where Tony works on Bucky's arm, the arm that Hydra built, that arm and repairs it, really make me uncomfortable because that arm was the instrument that murdered his mother. And where I think that I don't think that Bucky Barnes is culpable for those actions. I don't think he is morally or legally responsible for what happened. It doesn't mean that Tony Stark should have to be in the same room with him. And those two things can coexist, that Bucky's not responsible and that Tony shouldn't have to be in the room with him. Um, I had a hard time with it and Unleash Your Demons. I mean, I think I probably had a harder time of it than what I wrote Tony having with it. But in the end, I think that Tony resented Steve Rogers more than he did Bucky Barnes. Yeah, but also you, Tony had lived through a lot of stuff that was way that in a lot of ways was worse, and and he had the 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 function of time and living parts of his life over to build some emotional distance. None of that exists in any scenario. Right. In any scenario where, what did I get rid of? The uh, arm. Did you get rid of the arm? I'm not sure what she means about what I got rid of. So yeah. Anyway, there there is a. Oh. Um, oh oh yeah oh yeah yeah. 
I did get rid of, I did get rid of the arm in the, in Sentry. Um, but you can have two people who are victims and have neither one of them be wrong. And yet, I don't know. It, it's a difficult, it's a difficult, it's a very difficult thing that Bucky's not actually so, legally or morally responsible. But like I said, it's it's a personal hot button of mine when I read in fandom that Tony Stark is repairing Bucky Barnes' Hydra arm. Mm. Nope. Why would he? I mean, when, when, when he could make him a better one. Yeah. Well, I mean, but even if he repaired it, can you imagine finding out later you've been repairing the arm that literally choked your mother to death? That you've been making it more functional? I mean... My visceral reaction to that thought, it doesn't matter that Bucky was not responsible morally for those actions. It doesn't change the fact that this was the weapon. I mean, I wouldn't want, you know, a gun that was killed someone I loved. The guns may not be responsible for that, but I still wouldn't want that gun in my house. I mean, it's just, that's just. And I sure as hell wouldn't want to clean it. No. So it's just, it, it. Make Bucky a new arm, you know. If if Bucky, you know, if they sort sort all their stuff out, if Tony, maybe there's some scenario where people come clean with um, Tony about what's going on. Give Tony time and distance to get some, get it sorted out, and Tony's okay with Bucky coming in from the cold, and he helps pay for his therapy. But you know, Tony makes one of the conditions being that Bucky has to get rid of the fucking arm. I wouldn't want the thing that killed my this mother in, new arm, in my and in any of my buildings out of my house that thing can't be in my building thank you very much um and we'll get you a new arm so i mean that that could be something that could be potentially be worked with working up that that plot angle i actually have a, i have a ton of empathy for bucky and and i will always i will never treat i can't imagine me writing a story where bucky is not treated as good as i possibly can treat him given the limitations of my plot because i do think that he is like the most horribly abused character in mcu canon i mean he's what he went through was atrocious i mean even bruce banner's circumstances pale in comparison right definitely and so but it doesn't make it doesn't change the fact that he was the instrument. He, he was the gun that was fired in Tony Stark's parents' direction. And that from Tony Stark's perspective, that, that makes things very complicated. So um, it's, it's a difficult thing for me to work out scenarios that involve Tony and Bucky sharing space in a, um, I mean, I thought the way you handled it in Unleash Your Demons was really good. There was no, you know, there were none of the elements that make me really uncomfortable when I when I see them. Um, the stuff that really makes me uncomfortable in like post Civil War stories is like especially Steve trying to make them interact and trying to make them be friends, um, that kind of stuff. Even though the author is clearly trying to portray Steve as being awful, the fact that it's happening and that Tony puts up with it, it's like wow, I just got to turn away from this. Those tropes really make me uncomfortable. I and I get that Steve is being shown to be the bad guy in those scenarios but it doesn't i just but honestly this is a case of where i don't like to see a character being treated badly and putting up with it so tony stark being the doormat for the avengers is like one of my least favorite tropes i want to stab people i can't read it i will know about a fix so fat nope i'm done you know the only thing faster i will know about it is like if the writer continuously allows pepper to berate and nag tony i'm i'm not in for it I'm not there for it. 
I'm gone. Yeah. Especially while Tony's mooning about how much he loves her and how awful he is and how he knows he's no good for her. And he was always... I get enough of that in canon. I don't need to see it in my fan fiction. Right. It's like, Keeps that out of my happy place. I just rolled right out of my head. Um, um, so, okay. So let's say, for instance, let, let's explore the ripple of Bucky coming in and out of the cold and into our face. It's, it's, it's not realistic, right? right? It just change things. It changes a lot of things. Um, it would alter the dynamic between um, Steve and Tony a lot. Because why the hell is Bucky trusting Tony Stark over Steve Rogers? Steve Stark certainly wants to know. I think he'd be pretty hostile about it. And maybe even jealous depending on the um, how you want to work it. And maybe Bucky did seek Tony out because of his relation to Howard Stark. And he hasn't yet remembered that he murdered Howard and Maria Stark. He would eventually remember it. How would he deal with that? Um, how would the events of Age of Ultron be impacted by Bucky Barnes being there? Would it impact it at all? We know it would have immense impact on the Civil War timeline. I mean, yeah, if Bucky has gone from being Steve's emotional support animal to being Tony Stark's bodyguard because he feels super guilty about killing Howard Stark, then I think Wanda Maximoff would get around in the head. Yeah, the minute he found out she was Hydra, the next time he had Boom. an opportunity to saw her or her brother, she, the, he, you know. He'd kill him. Yeah. So, you know, but the question you'd have to ask yourself, I don't know that Bucky would be field ready by the time of Age of Ultron. No, probably not. Um, um, she wouldn't be able to trigger the Winter Soldier unless she had all of his commands, the Russian words. And if she has all those words, she's full on Hydra. And if Bucky is in recovery... I would think that the first word he heard come out of her mouth that was one of his Russian trigger words, that he put a cap in it. Because it wouldn't be smart to let anybody get all the words out. Because if they get all the words out, they're going to activate the Winter Soldier. So the first word comes out, boom. Nobody gets a chance to say word number two. So someone asked if she needs the words if he's in, she's in his brain. I don't see anything particularly in... I don't personally ever put the X-Men in in the MCU. And certainly not when we're talking about in a canon divergent way. You just can't. The MCU... It doesn't it, work because of the way MCU was structured. The X-Men cannot be in, in the MCU in a canon divergent situation. That is a hard no. So if you're thinking about that, just take it right out of your mind. <laughs> Julie's got issues. Because the biggest yes. issue is, is where the fuck were the X-Men during the invasion? Well, not just that, but the, I mean, Mar Marvel's been really clear: the X Men do not exist. They have the whole inhuman thing. Um, right. Well, you could make an AU, but we're talking about canon divergent ripples. So, um, th and there are quite a few AUs that have the X Men and and the um, um, X Men and, and MCU together. And you do have to work out why the X Men weren't present for the invasion. So there are things to work out, but you could definitely do that if you wanted to write a, 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 an MCU AU that includes the X-Men. But it does not work for canon divergence. Because it's not canon. 
Because you cannot you make cannot that cannon. diverge from cannon if you're not using cannon. Ugh. Um, Again, that wouldn't be cannon divergent. <clears throat> but um, when it comes to... When it comes to the whole, you know... There's a lot of different ways you could have Bucky have some information. Like the Winter Soldier knows things about Tony Stark, knows things about Jarvis. He's read briefs on Tony Stark. Tony Stark could have been a past target of his. Maybe they rescinded. Maybe he did research, followed Tony Stark around. He could actually, there could be ways he could know a lot about Tony Stark and realize that Tony Stark is a potential asset to help him get his arm sorted out. But I don't think he would expose himself um, by just showing up at Stark Tower. No. I, I don't think the Winter Soldier It's not very realistic at all. No. So it'd have to be something... Huh? Okay, we're talking about canon divergence. Fix-its typically have to have a canon element too, but fix-its are a little bit looser. They still have to have a canon component, but they're a little bit a little bit looser than, than the strict definition of canon divergence. But um, we're talking specifically about ripples and canon divergence. So... Um, we can do a fix it later. We we have some quantum bang ones we need to do anyway. So yeah. so we can talk we'll about that later. How to how to how to bring elements together in a in a fix it. Um well just write it down somewhere and keep it on your brain because because we'll come back to it. Or or put it in the ask a question for the podcast thing and we'll we'll add it to the list of quantum craft things we wanna do. So Ellie says, in Teen Wolf, Scott's mother is a nurse and he works with a vet. How short would the show have been if he had gone to the hospital when he was bit? Um, I don't know that... You know how that would have impacted the length of the show. Um, here's the thing. Melissa in canon, Hunter's... I don't think Hunter's would have had much to do with it because he'd have gone to his mom. Are you asking if he... I'm not sure. Are you asking if he went to his... So he goes to his mom and says, mom, I got bit. Okay. So she, she bandages him up. He, he would have to be started on a series of rabies shots. That's just the way that goes. A wild animal attack. You get rabies shots. You get rabies shots. Well, I mean, at that point, there were no hunters in town. The Argents were there, but I don't know that they're paying that close of attention to the animal attacks that were the problem were the people who were dying. But I mean, yeah. It, it, I mean, it, it might catch Chris Argent's attention, but Chris Argent was trying to follow the code. So, killing a teenager for getting bit by a werewolf doesn't it, seem. It could have had significant. Yeah, it could have had ripples. But it's 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 interesting. It's an interesting question because, in canon, when. When Melissa found out that Scott was a werewolf, she didn't tell anybody responsible about it. She just, she actually put her head in the sand. And then when Gerard came calling with the Canima and threatened her, she told Scott just to do whatever he wanted and to make the problem go away. Not very adulty, quite frankly. Um, so I don't know that Melissa bandaging up her son from an animal attack would necessarily change much because he's been attacked by an animal. All it is is a bite, really, right? All it's you could go this way. I'm just saying there's precedent in canon for this. I hear what you're saying, Ellie, but the only reason that they would have any reason to investigate him or look at him is hold on. You're I hear what you're saying, but hear what I'm saying is 
if she reported that it healed. Okay, so she she bandages him up. She gets him started on a course of rabies treatments. The next day, she sees that he's healed. She's the type of mom who, frankly, based upon canon precedent, is not going to say anything. She's going to pretend like he's off school and she's going to keep him home because it's going to freak her out that he's suddenly better. Because in canon, she didn't seek out help. In canon, she didn't. And she wouldn't. I mean, you would. I wouldn't. If, no. if my kid got bit the next day, he was completely healed. My first thought would be, I'd be paranoid as fuck. I'd be like, you can't, okay, you can't tell anybody this happened because right. you'll end up being confiscated by the government or something. I don't know. <laughs> so, based upon her canon actions and also the freakout factor, I think she'd keep him at home for a week, make him keep taking his freaking rabies shots, and pretend like he had a wound. And then I, I think it just skates right by the attention of the hunters. Quite frankly. She would probably do a lot to cover up. Mm -hmm. We know for a fact she wouldn't seek out Noah for help. Well, but I don't think Scott of, of the very beginning of the show was going to openly defy his mother that way. No, he just stayed home. If she sat on him and he said, don't you dare leave this house. If she freaked out and said, you were... Uh huh. But the thing is, he would. The thing is, he'd be turning into a werewolf, and Derek Hale would show up to try to help. Like he would. Let's say he got a little bit out of hand. Derek Hale shows up. She would latch onto him. You protect him. You treat him. You don't let anybody know. Um, but the last thing, the thing is, I think it could actually have a positive effect on Scott's life if his mother finds out early on, because um, she's going to be freaked out and she's going to not want him to let anybody know. I think if she had known from the jump, he would not have been getting away with going to lacrosse. He would, she would, he would not have been getting away of exposing the fact that he was a werewolf. You keep your head down. You have period. You keep carrying your inhaler. You fake an attack periodically so that nobody's paying attention to you. I, that's just the way she was in Canon, right? She just, she just didn't want it to be affect their life. She wanted to pretend. That's my take on Melissa. Um, I don't think it would have gone the direction of her showing the doctor and drawing attention to the fact that her son wasn't really injured and exposing that he was a werewolf and therefore Chris Argent shot him in the head. I don't think it would have gone that direction if she had, if he had gone to the hospital. Um, but if she isolates him so much and doesn't allow Styles or Derek near him, Scott could go Omega. Fairly well, quickly. He would probably kill her, actually. Um, because S S Scott nearly killed... Um, he tried to attack Styles several times in canon. So, um, Scott Styles is the one who worked out how Scott would maintain control and be able to go to school. That was all Styles. So, without that, he might try to attack her. Now, you know, you have to just be careful how you... Now, so you could write it that Scott attacks his mother and kills her. I mean, you know good on you and on um, embracing such a difficult topic um but you could write if it he that, does kill her then he probably will go yeah they, the argents <laughs> will kill him yeah if he killed him and, and he probably would want them to quite frankly so um and it would be bad for scott it would be bad for styles too because he would carry the burden of scott and melissa's death and he would feel like it was his fault so I wouldn't personally explore that angle personally because I'm not interested in, in heaping that kind of burden on Styles. <laughs> um, what I would probably do is if I went that route of Melissa's trying to hide it is I would have Derek 
intervene when Scott started getting out of control and explain what was going on. And then Melissa becomes a force for forcing Scott to interact with and deal with Pac and um, learn how to be a werewolf from Derek, you know. So, so you're asking, does Styles doesn't know? Um, no, I think Styles figures it out. I absolutely think Styles figures it out almost right away. Because if Scott's not coming to school, Styles is going to be all up in that, no matter what Melissa says. He's going to be crawling in through Scott's window. He's going to see this, and Scott's going to tell him this is his best buddy. Who Scott may be confined to the house, but he, he isn't. You know, he's going to he's going to say, "Look, dude, I got bit by this big old wolf, this big old wolf thing, and now it's gone." And then I tried to attack my mom, and Derek Hale keeps talking about me being a werewolf. Yes, yeah, Styles is going to find out really quickly. That's the way I would step through those events. But if you want to just do an instant stop to Teen Wolf, you know, with being Styles, Scott is a Teen Wolf, it's Scott gets bitten. Melissa tells a doctor that wound healed. The doctor reports instantaneous wound healing. Um, the hunters kill Scott. And Styles, the doctor. And the doctor. Sty and probably Melissa. And, and Styles has this horrible burden that he has to live with. I wouldn't choose to write that because Styles is going to take on and feel guilty about those events because he took, he, he persuaded Scott to go to the woods. And I just, that's not, that's just not the way I would choose to. So if you just don't want to write Scott in Teen Wolf, I have a bunny for you, Ellie. Okay. This is how it goes. Are you listening? Okay. Peter bites Styles instead and kills Scott. Or you could write it where <laughs> Styles kills Peter. <laughs> or um, Peter bites them both. Then Style immediately regrets biting Scott and kills him. Scott buys a bite. You dies of bite rejection. That's harsh. Um, well, my, my issue with that is if we're if we're exploring. Um, That's not really canon divergent. That becomes a complete AU. Yeah, if he did in fact, he didn't reject the bite in canon. Bite. So it's hard to you. You'd have to insert some other event where he like was, I don't know, licking a rowan berry or something, right prior to getting bit. You know, you'd have to insert your canon divergent point earlier, such that something happened to Scott that would have made him a prime candidate for bite rejection, like he inhaled some mountain ash. Or he'd eaten a dried rowan berry, which you can buy dried rowan berries on Etsy. Who knew? Um, huh. Bizarre things you find out. Um, so let's say his mom had bought some of some of these, and she had a bunch of these dried berries laying around. He eats a handful of them before they go out in the woods. All of a sudden, he rejects the bite because if mountain ash, if the if 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 the ash from a from a rowan tree can cause you to reject the bite. I don't know why the berries from them wouldn't. I don't know why you can buy dried rowan berries on Etsy. You just can. Thank you, Lady Holder. See, there they are. You can buy all kinds of things on Etsy. And if it's not on Etsy, it's on eBay. And if it's not on eBay, it's on Craigslist. Don't buy food on eBay. <laughs> <laughs> or Craigslist. <laughs> don't, don't do it. Don't do it. I'm um, just saying, that's the chain. Um, uh, yeah, and if you can't find it anywhere else, you can find it on Amazon <laughs> as long as it's legal to sell. Um, 
So but anyway, so you could just, if you wanted to him to have bite rejection, if you wanted to do a canon divergent AU where he has bite rejection, then you would just need to insert a little thing that happens that puts some sort of Rowan source in his system, whether it's, it's what if the Deaton, ash. It, what if Deaton's making some concoction to help him with his asthma and it has mountain ash in it? Or Deaton could have just been making some mountain ash and Scott got a whiff of it that day when he was at the vet clinic later than he should have been. I mean, if Styles gets bitten, would he tell his dad? Uh, yes. I think, well, I think you'd go either way. The question is, which, which ripples do you want to explore? Because if Styles gets bitten out in the woods when he's not supposed to be there and he thinks he can get away with not telling his dad, he's just the kind of kid who wouldn't. But do you want to explore the ripple of him telling his dad or of him not telling him? Well, Queenie, I'm not sure that holds water. That argument about him being able to, I don't see how he could hide it from a trained investigator. They hid a whole lot of fucking shit from Noah Stalinsky um, in the canon of the show and all the other cops in the city and the town too. And post Scott bite, Styles had an extreme amount of changes in his behavior and it still didn't. Well, it, it kind of, I mean, Noah knew something was going on. He kept challenging Styles on Styles' changes of behaviors, and Styles wasn't the werewolf. So, since Styles is the one who figures out the werewolf thing and he figures out the control thing, um, I think it's reasonable that um, he could hide it from his father if he wanted to. <laughs> My mom has not informed me of this, Margaret, but I get it. I'm with your mom on this. If you develop some kind of magical power, you are to tell her immediately. <laughs> and us. And us, yeah, because we want to know. <laughs> We're old enough to be your mother. We want to hear too, Margaret. <laughs> it really bothers me to say things like that. <laughs> it is really terrible. Um, actually, I I, I, I... I am old enough to be your mother. Margaret, No, honey. I mean, no, technically, honey, both of... No, we are actually... I think I'm your not, mother is... I'm not old enough to be your grandmother, baby. Not quite. <laughs> but we are both old enough to have birthed you. I'm 46, sweetie. I'll be I 45 can... in October. I could have been your mama. <clears throat> okay, Rogue and Twy could and be your Rogue grandma. Could be your grandma. <laughs> <laughs> so you got. You got you, there's there's some people old enough to be your 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 grandma in chat, and there's some people old enough to be your mama. Um, so we all think we're going to insert ourselves here, and if you get magical powers, we all all expect to know. I'm, I'm just saying that I could <laughs> yeah. actually been your mama without being a teenage mother. Yeah, definitely. I I, I would have been done with college. So so you tell you tell she's your, only 19, guys. She's only 19. But she turned twenty. Oh no, she, oh, she, she just, just turned twenty. She, she turned 20. Just yeah. Turned 20. So, so you you tell your minion moms if you get magical powers, and you tell your minion mimas if you get magical <laughs> powers. We demand to know. <laughs> but um, I you know honestly, I I think that Styles' ability to hide all the shit that went on, I think it would have been like the the difficulty of it. If he's the werewolf, it's times 20. Yeah, 
I agree. It would have been harder. It would have been harder. Uh, but and I have to wonder if he would have been so motivated because I honestly think there's the reason. TK. I thought I saw earlier. There's TK Benjamin who made the beautiful art for your story. Yes, there's TK. I didn't think TK was in here earlier. I don't think um, she was. They. I'm gonna. I'm, I'm trying to stop gendering people just arbitrarily. Yes, TK did the beautiful cover art for which. If you've only seen my story announcement on Facebook or. Um, Miwi, the art there is the, the slider art, because I have, have a very short slider. Um, but TK did the cover art, the ins that's the inspiration for the story, and it can be found on the main story page. And there's a link it is to beautiful. Is, there's a link to, to their site so that you can, you know, leave pretty comments on the, the TK's site about um, the mad art skills. And we also need to acknowledge that the werewolf goes through a, a extreme physical change. Um, and Styles would pretty much, over a period of about a week, go from being somewhat less than average, what, 15, 16-year-old? To being an extremely fit 16-year-old. Um, yeah, 16, almost 17 in canon. So that's a... that he, He's going to put on muscle mass. Hiding that from his parent would be difficult yeah but also i really don't think i think that styles motivation for hiding things from his father was well, is twofold i don't think he wanted anything to happen to his dad so there was that but that he didn't know about the danger to his father until later okay but initially i do think it was misplaced guilt i think that his motivation for hiding all the stuff going on with scott was because he felt responsible and he had to help Scott the best he possibly could do the best he could because he had asked Scott to go out there into the woods with him. So I think that I think there was some misplaced guilt driving Styles. Well, if that's not a factor, if Styles is just tromping around in the woods by himself and he gets bitten, um, does he have the same motivation for keeping it from his dad? I think that I, I think that fear and pain and trauma would drive him right into the arms of his remaining parent. Yeah, I think so. Noah is is not a a figure of extreme discipline in Styles' life. He Styles trusts him. I think he would like, you know, yeah. I mean he would he would want his daddy. I mean it's it's not and Styles trusts his dad. He's not gonna go flying off the handle or lose his mind. He's gonna be exactly what Styles needs him to be. So I think he would tell him. That's what I would write. I find that I'd find that to be a more interesting thing to write is him telling his dad. Uh, but I do think you could make a case either way. Yeah. And 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 depending upon which way you want to go is then which set of ripples you explore. Do you explore the 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 ripples of of Styles trying to keep it from his dad as long as possible? I feel like we've got can honestly. This is one of the reasons why I also wouldn't want to explore that is because I think like we've got canon to set also, the precedent it, of that it, tap it, dance. It paints Noah to be three times more neglectful than he is in canon to not notice those kinds of changes in his own child in his own home and that level point, of neglect of neglect is pretty heinous I wouldn't want to write it some people really like writing him as being a very um, I think he's an absent parent but I don't see him as being neglectful or abusive and and Styles is very independent. He's not home much. Um, but they also worked together a lot. And they had a very good relationship from my perspective in canon. So 
um, outside of the whole werewolf thing. Um, but some people really do like writing. Uh, Styles is having a, 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 a basically a, an abusive parent. So if that's that's author choice, you've got but you've got to got to explore the ripples of whatever your plot choices are. What you're trying, what story you're trying to tell. I think it would be really interesting to tell the story of, of Styles being bitten, um, and and it bringing them together and having a tighter relationship and and is leveraging bringing Noah because it's my head canon and I've explored it um, in more than one story now. Where Noah being in the know is a good thing for Derek too. Uh, in a I very think if Derek way. is the source of keeping his son safe then Noah becomes the mecca of getting Derek's life back on track yeah I agree because if he figures out okay if if my son's alpha is not stable then my son is not stable which means Derek Hale is about to be the most stable motherfucker on this planet <laughs> or else Derek, it, it took some doing, but I found you a therapist. She knows all about werewolves. Here you go. You're going on Monday. <laughs> and this is your college enrollment. <laughs> and I've put you on the insurance. <laughs> Here's your house key. You are not allowed to stay in this burned out shell of your family's home any longer. Are you kidding me? So I do think I, I, always, I always write Noah as a force for good in Derek's life. So, uh, and I like no, Derek having a force is for good in his life. So I find it would be a more interesting idea to explore for me is Styles telling his dad and <laughs> exploring the ripples you from there. <laughs> and you have a job interview on Tuesday, wear the blue shirt. Yeah. <laughs> but leave the leather jacket at home. I don't care how much Styles likes it. It's it's just not a good look for work. No one's going to take you seriously. Not. <laughs> they might try to jump you, but they're not going to take you seriously. Um, wouldn't that make any relationship between Styles and Derek weird? Then, uh, well, I no, I um, they're not being raised as siblings. Yeah, they're not being. Yeah, Styles is already basically in now. In the way I write Styles' age, Styles is already seventeen at that point. In canon, he's about to turn seventeen. So. There's not going to be a brother bond that's going to form between them. And I would never write Dale, D Dale, Derek, uh, jumping Styles before Styles is an is as an underage. No, is, is illegal. I wouldn't write that. Write write that. So, um, so I, it wouldn't it wouldn't be a factor. Due to the length of this podcast, it has been split into two parts. <laughs>